The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Save our wildlife, save the environment, save our world. It all starts with a little knowledge. Welcome to Our Wild World with L.A. Weiss. There is so much that's being done and can be done with help from specialists and marginalized community groups to you. We'll discuss the future of Africa, the wildlife, and the people, and show you how it affects the entire planet. Now, here is Ellie Weiss from the Wild Eyes Foundation. Just as the dust had begun to settle from COP17 CITES convention, the bad news it held for lions and elephant eking out across the savannas and forests, new headlines hot on the heels as conservationists and traders reeling, prompting for fallout and arguments to come. The newest developments after the U.S. did not push for the uplisting of lions, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has now banned the import of canned lion trophies from South Africa. Africa. Despite huge backlash from the hunting contingents, both here in the U.S. and in South Africa. And now, the bold headlines, Will Lion Be the New Rhino? As a spate of poaching incidents of lions on captive breeding farms has taken place, and now the South African Predator Breeders Association is crying wolf. So today, I welcome back my guest, Dr. Peter Cat, and we're going to try and make some sense, or at least sift through, some of the muddy water to find some clarifications of what has happened and further what the future may hold for lions, for elephants, and for CITES, as the mood around this most recent convention is certainly much divided. Welcome, Peter. Hi, Ali. Um, how, how appropriate. We're, we're talking at Halloween about skulls and bones. Oh, my goodness. Oh, you would bring that one up. I'm sitting here <laughs> sort of encapsulated in my own little world and didn't even think of that. But uh, we're, we're raising the flag of crossbones and skulls. So that, that brings us right into what happened. Um, so the recent news, which I found on your Facebook page, Lion Aid and Peter Cat, be sure to check out lionaid.org and read Peter's blogs because he's very up on the news of what's going on. And in fact, I was highlighted to this news article from the South African Predator Association about this article that we're going to kind of rip apart right now. Um, and it's the uh, titled of that article is Lion, the New Rhino. And you can find it uh, on the web by going to Peter's uh, blog site. So this article... Um, Lions being poached inside breeding camps. So it's kind of, and some of the 
words that they pushed to the fore were cruelty, inhumane, mutilation of the carcasses of their bred lions. So this is sort of the pot calling the kettle black, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely, because, you know, what, what we have to realize, Ellie, is that these, these lions on these, these farms are already on what I call a conveyor belt to death. They're, you know, these guys, these, these poor little lions, and I feel very sorry for them, you know, being slaughtered on, on these farms and being poisoned and having their heads and paws cut off, you know, by, by these poachers. But, you know, these lions are on death row. Um, so exactly like you say, it's 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 the pot calling the kettle black. And that def- these guys, these that- these breeders, the, go ahead. These breeders are complaining that that their 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 animals are being killed inhumanely. But that is their entire business. And as we've spoken many times over this program, and most recently about the captive and canned lion industry, it's it's a man-made, completely man-made industry. Um, lions are bred, the cubs are removed, taken off for cub petting, then when they're a little too old for that, then they go on lion walks, and then they go back to lion parks or lion farms, where they are, as Chris Mercer has said, bred for the bullet, and which the film Blood Lions highlighted. So we've talked about this a lot, and now here here we are with the Predator Association finally being called under fire, so to speak. And in their arguments, if when you read this article, they bring up every argument that the hunters and the conservationists both use, but they put a different spin on it. So I, let's start pulling apart some of this. They say, um, like Rhino, that if the breeders in South Africa did not breed these animals, then the the whole point was to bring up population numbers. But then again, the breeders have always said they're not interested in conservation. And another thing, they're not keeping track of bloodlines. All these lions are interbred. They throw in a wild-caught lion every now and then just to keep the species' uh, bloodlines going from complete interbreeding uh, fallout, disease, whatnot. And then um, they also have said that they're not interested in conservation and that now their market is being is falling apart and in this article they said the lion trade is for south african muti markets uh, shamanism uh, traditional medicine they don't even mention the lion bone trade so help us understand what's happening here peter all right um let's let's back up a little bit the we all know that the reason why these these uh, lion breeders are breeding lions is just to commercialize them. Um, what they want to do is they want to sell, like you said, you know, the cub petting. They want to sell the volunteers, the innocent volunteers coming and paying lots of money. They want to sell the walks. They want to sell the lion hunts. They want to sell the bones. They want to sell, you know, they want to sell. They're they're they're. There was something a long time ago where, where um, the um, in Chicago, the um, the big meat slaughterhouses said we sell everything except the pig squeak, right? <laughs> and it's the same thing with the lions. It's yeah. the same thing with the lions. They sell absolutely every part of the lion, 
right? They will sell e even the whiskers, you know, for, for some sort of, you know, medicine or whatever. Now, that is the entire purpose for lion, captive lion breeding in South Africa. Bred in cages, kept in cages, you know, released every now and then to be shot. You know, that's that's the whole thing about lion breeding in Africa, in South Africa. So, now, so jump in and now tell us. What's okay, happening. go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, but now what's happening is that um, you know there there are there there are moves afoot to under uh, undermine all this captive breeding. First of all. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has said that they will not allow any further imports of, of captive-bred lion trophies. Now, how the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, Service will, will tell apart a captive lion trophy from a, a wild trophy or whatever, you know, is, it remains to be determined. But the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service has said no. Um, CITES, on the other hand, has said, oh, look. Here we have all this fantastic bone trade, you know, for for, for bogus products in, in, in China. I mean, uh, can you imagine, you know, what is the benefit of putting a bunch of bones into, uh, um, you know, uh, some rice wine, wine right. and then selling that as some sort of and, and then selling that as some sort of product? I mean, it's all nonsense. Right. But South Africa has said has said, OK, what we're going to do is we're going to provide these uh, South, um, uh, sorry, the, the Asian dealers with all our lion bones because evidently this brings in money to the South African captive breeders. And it also now, offsets the tiger bone trade since we're running out of tigers. And let's say there is no scientific data in all the research that lion bone or wildlife products such as rhino horn have any medicinal value. So it has it has no medicinal value whatsoever. It has no medicinal value. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, you know, we are all rational people, all right. Now, can, can you imagine that if 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 I put okay um, a lion bone into a bottle of of rice wine and then let it brew for you know maybe five years or something, that if I drink that wine, I'm going to be relieved of all sorts of rheumatism and, 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 and things like that. I mean, it, it, it boggles the mind. I mean, there is no why cure. do we even... There is no cure. I mean, why do we even pay attention to this? Why... And I'm sure that, you know, the, 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 um, the Chinese herbal medicine um, specialists are also laughing at this. They're, they're saying... And you know, put a lion bone into into a glass of wine and drink it, and you'll 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 be relieved of rheumatism. That's complete nonsense, right? But anyway, this has now been allowed to develop as a big market for South African lion breeders, and has had the stamp of approval, bing, boom, bang, by CITES. Well, the other thing that's happened said, is, you know, I think what the Asian markets and even the Muti markets in South Africa, what they're looking for is the concept of wild. And if you want to discuss it as chi and embodying the spirit of the wild, okay, I, I get that as... Um, 
sort of wanting to be a spirituality, but it's once again, as we've said, imbibing, eating, digesting the wildlife does not bring you the spirit, but there is a whole argument to be said about chi of the wild, but that can be gained without killing the animal. So in this Predator Association's article, they didn't talk about the Asian bone market. They talked about the African bone market, where while at CITES, just down the street, was a whole lot of illegal wildlife being sold. That gives you, you it gives you an idea that somebody's not watching something when five minutes from the halls, the corridors of all this conservation by committee, no one's checking what's going on right down the street. So um, let's move here. So in terms of the Breeders Association and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife uh, banning imports from South African canned hunts and many other countries and airlines, on the on the on board saying we're not going to let these be imported what's happened is a massive decline in the want or the ability for trophy hunters who do like to kill things for whatever reason to bring these trophies home so that has an impact on the breeders right well, I, I would imagine so. I mean, you know, with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service saying that they will not allow any further imports of captive bred lion trophies from South Africa, that means that those South African breeders are going to suffer a loss of 55% of their clients. In other words, they might as well go out of business. I mean, imagine if you're a, if you, you're a store or a shop or something like that, and all of a sudden, 55% of your, your, your clients walk out, you know, you're not going to earn any more money. There is a huge investment by the captive lion breeders, you know, to, to raise these lions to do this. Yeah, they're earning money along the way. But if 55% of your clients are suddenly walking out the door or forced to walk out the door, you're not going to make any money. And this is going to be the end of the uh, um, captive breeding for lions. I promise you this is going to be the end. And that's good news because as a result of this recent CITES meeting, they gave the go-ahead to South Africa to breed lions and to sell the bones. They made that official and they there were some strings attached that they had to be accountable about quotas of how many lions were being killed and exported. Now, whether there's going to be accountability for that or not, remains to be seen. So the lion breeders were were dealt a good hand by CITES and then a bad hand by U.S. Fish and Wildlife. And now they're trying to blame the animal rights and welfare people, U.S. Fish and Wildlife. They never mentioned CITES in their article. They're putting the blame on everyone else and still not taking into the fact that, as we started this program, Peter, that these lions are bred destined for the bullet. There is no other market. It's a complete man-made market. So um, that leads us with your comment that there is no future for canned hunting. What kind of pressure, and they mentioned this in their article, is this going to put on wild lion populations? Well, you know, the South African breeders have always said, look, you know, we're providing a certain service in two ways. We're providing a service to the hunters because, you know, now you can come to South Africa and you can hunt a captive bred lion um, for a lot, lot less money than it costs to, to hunt a, a wild lion. And, you know, you can come to South Africa and you can shoot a lion. Of course you can because, you know, it's, it's, it's 
captive bred and it's provided for you and it's put in a fenced enclosure. You can shoot a lion in South Africa in one day versus maybe, you know, you have to trudge around in the bush after a wild lion, you know, for maybe a couple of weeks or something you know, in Tanzania or somewhere else. So, you know, we're providing a big service in terms of ease, in terms of less money, and we're doing all of you guys a service. Now, what they also say is that they are providing the wild lions a service. Because what they're saying is that by, by getting all these, these wannabe lion hunters to come and shoot their captive bred lions, what they're doing is they're protecting the wild lions. Now, that is a big, big, big disconnect, okay? Because um, even the hunters themselves, the Professional Hunting Association of South Africa has said that they are completely distancing themselves from this wild, this sort of, sorry, this, this captive bred lion hunting industry. There is a, a, um, a stigma attached if you look at the hunting, the, the you know the hunters' websites and all that kind of stuff, there's a stigma attached to anybody going to South Africa and shooting a lion in you know a, a fenced area. That's not that's not hunting. You know that's not lion hunting. You know, or you're just a a wuss. Okay, um, so there is among the hunting community themselves a big stigma attached to hunting a captive bred lion. What they all want to do. Is is they want to hunt a wild lion. Now that's going to cost a lot of money, but you know these guys they have they have silly money. You know, recently there was this um, you know thing on on Facebook and things like that of um, this Argentinian millionaire or something like that who went to to South Africa and he shot a captive bred tiger. You know, these guys can do what they want. They have far too much money that they know what to. Do do with and you know they can they can hunt here there the everywhere but the problem is hunting a wild lion is still relatively difficult yes the, the hunting operator will provide a bait for you and you know attract the lions and like cecil you know they'll shoot them out of a national park if you want they'll they'll make every um possible way to make your hunt easy but at the same time, it's going to cost you lots and lots of money. Walter Palmer had to spend, you know, sort of $50,000 to shoot Cecil. You can hunt a captive bred lion in South Africa for $10,000. Bargain basement, you know. It's like the Walmart. So, um, so if, what if we, we have to do we is up, we have to make a clear distinction. So let me just interject. Um, we have to make a clear distinction. Absolutely. So, yep. you know, this Go is ahead. really this is a good point because this is quite a discussion. We have lots to talk about. This is a good point to step away for, for, for a short break. So stick with us, listeners. We're going to be right back with a whole lot more. Ask the experts. Call toll free right now. 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. Voice on Wildlife. No wild, no life. Big, scary, beautiful. Predators are in danger. Without them, our rivers dry up. Our forests don't grow. Our communities go hungry. Our biodiversity crumbles. Wildlife drives our planet's ecosystems. The Wild Effect. 
It's in our hands. Ellie founded Wild Eyes Foundation because she loves Africa and to remind us that there are more harmonious and less destructive ways to live on our planet. She does this so we may be able to look inside ourselves and understand the deeper partnerships that connect us all and to take responsibility for our lives and our Earth. Africa is one of our last remaining wild places and the origins of humanity. It is irreplaceable. Africa is at a crossroads, on the brink of possibilities. We can choose to let its wildlife be lost forever, or we can help save it. In Africa, it is still possible to make a difference. Visit us at www.wildeyes.org to learn how you can make a difference. We only have one Earth. If we don't care, who will? W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G News Opinion Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787 1-866-472-5787 VoiceAmerica.com You're listening to Ellie Weiss and Our Wild World. We want to hear from you. Call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. If you'd rather send us an email, please send it to wildeyes at wildeyes.org. That's W-I-L-D-I-Z-E at W-I-L-D-I-Z-E dot O-R-G. Now, back to our wild world. So, before the break, we were on a roll about captive lion breeding and the blow it's been dealt not only by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife, the hand it was given by CITES, and now the poaching that's taking place in canned breeding farms. So it's not looking so good for lions. It's going to have an effect on wild lions, and some of that remains to be seen because the Predator Breeder Association out and out said they're not interested in conservation and that they will not continue to breed lions if they can't make money off of it. So it's you really have to go read this article and there is a link to this uh to, to this article in the post. So you need to go read it and and understand all the various arguments they put together. And the one thing we didn't talk about on this Peter and the the glaring thing that stood out in my mind about this article is the definition of wild. It seems all of that got lost. And we were talking about, you know, hunting wild lions or going and luring a wild lion out. The Predator Breeder Association seems to have forgotten the whole concept of wild. So that's under a lot of discussion right now. So what really happened at CITES? Well, CITES was, was um, you know, if let's say you're a great parent, okay? CITES was a big success for you. Or let's say you were a helmeted hornmill. I mean, you were flying at CITES. And let's say that you were, were something like a, a, a pangolin. pangolin. I yep. mean, you know, CITES, CITES, CITES did great for you, right? But, the, but CITES always, you know, misses the big points. I mean, yes, for sure. We have to be concerned about the survival of pangolins, gray parrots, um, helmeted hornbills, various other species. But, you know, they always fail on the big ones. They always fail on the elephants, and they always fail on the lions. 
Now, this time around, what happened is that, um, for example, with the elephants, um, there were something like 17 African nations that said, that put a proposal together that said, all right, what we're going to do is we're going to put a proposal to this, this convention that now all elephants in Africa are now going to be put on CITES Appendix 1, meaning that they would be protected from any sort of trade and trophy hunting. And that was now, also, now, I'm just going to interject, happened? let me interject, that was also the decision one month, two months prior, one month, two months prior at the IUCN meeting. Everybody came away saying lions and elephants would be uplisted. Everybody agreed. And then some scheming and some backroom, side room, side event deals happened at CITES. And there were odd votes taken, there were um, electronic glitches in the voting system and go to our Facebook page. You'll be able to see discussions on that as we live streamed video from there and check out some of our videos and interviews. So CITES this time really came under fire. We thought there would be a lot going on that was would really move forward. So once again, in terms of what happened at CITES, um, I think we need to talk about relevance. Do you think re- it... it became highlighted more than ever that CITES is either not relevant because it's not keeping up with what's happening today to the wild, to the ecosystems, to planet Earth as a whole, and the the role these mega species and iconic species play, and are they paying attention to site, uh, excuse me, science, research, and data, or are they playing politics? Now I'm going to let you run with it. All right. Ellie, I'm glad you brought up that IUCN World Conservation Conference, all right, where the, the delegates there, you know, they all sat around and they voted for some really good things. Now, strangely enough, a lot of those same delegates who were sitting there at the IUCN conference then packed their bags and got onto the plane and went to South Africa, where they were now being present at the CITES conference. And lo and behold, maybe it was a change of continent or something like that, but lo and behold, they voted completely differently. How can the same person vote one way in one convention and another way in another? You know, that's what's really surprising. Do you think it had anything now, to do the with... the other thing is that... One, one second. Do you think it had anything to do with the way the votes were counted, that the EU voted... Let's not even get Brexit in here, but that the EU counted as 28 nations with in one block and the US counted as well, one that, vote you know the the all right let's let's get to the you know the elephant vote for example you know the the, the proposed uplisting of for elephants onto appendix 1 um, that eventually came to a vote but you have to remember that before all this happens all right 6 months before before the CITES convention, everybody is supposed to publish all their proposals to CITES, right? right? And this all becomes, you know, assimilated and, you know, is sent all electronically all over the world so that every CITES delegate or every CITES nation has an idea of what is going to happen on the agenda for CITES, you know, when, when it comes up, six months before. Now... Um, also, what happens six months before or three months before or whatever, 
is that a lot of organizations, including the CITES Secretariat themselves, the WWF, the IUCN, Traffic, the Zoological Society of London, everybody, you know, now feels that they have the right to say, okay, this is my opinion about how you guys, you delegates at CITES, should vote on all these proposals. So there's a pre-listing of how these organizations, WWF, for example, might be quite um, you know important in, in terms of people's minds, but these organizations say how the delegates should vote. So when it comes down to the voting, all right, now let's pretend that you are a delegate to CITES and you're supposed to vote on the elephant uplisting issue to CITES Appendix 1. Now... Now, you happen to be a delegate from St. Vincent and the Grenadines. It's true. St. Vincent and the Grenadines voted against uplisting elephants to Appendix 1. Now, how could they possibly have reached that conclusion to oppose uplisting when they probably have never seen an African elephant themselves in their lives? They were influenced by the way that they were instructed to vote by let's say the CITES Secretariat, by WWF, by the IUCN, by whoever. Now, also, coming back to the European Union, the European Union delegates, all 28 of them, casting, you know, one vote, counting 28 times, were instructed by, by the European Union Commission how to vote even before they arrived in South Africa. They were given the instructions. They were told, you will vote this way on this and that way on that, by the European Commission. The European Parliament, in the meantime, said, hold on a second, we have a completely different view on this. The European Parliament said, we, as European Union Parliament, representing all the citizens in the European Union, instruct you... You're the CITES delegates to vote for uplisting elephants to appendix one. But guess what? The European Union said, no, forget it. You know, the delegates said, forget it. We're going to go with the European Commission, unelected, right? And we're going to vote to not uplist the elephants. If the European Union had not voted in that, in that uplisting debate, the elephants would have gone up to Appendix 1. Those 28 votes defeated the, the entire proposal to uplist elephants. The European Union then, after that success, the European Union then went and said, okay, let's look at this whole proposal about, you know, uplisting lions to Appendix 1. Everybody in the world said, you know, lions are in big danger. They're declining here. They're declining there. You know, we got 20,000 lions left. You know, the... The entire lion population is, is, is going down as we speak. The European Union said, all right, what we're going to do is we're going to vote, no, not even vote, what we're going to do is, is we're going to go to CITES and we're going to completely undermine any vote. What we're going to do is we are going to suggest a so-called working group. The working group was supposed to decide on the way forward for lions. No votes. Okay, the working group all of a sudden had this this um, this 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 way of, of influencing the entire way forward for life. The 
working group included lots of nations, you know, that, that said that, you know, lions should be uplifted to Appendix 1. And they also included the Safari Club International, the, the, um, the uh, lots of European hunting organizations, the Conservation Force. I mean, the hunters were there in force. Right. And so they was, were there and, trying and to when we talk them. about the hunting lobby, we have to understand what's behind that as well, which is the National Rifle Association and the whole gun issue. So without even getting into gun control. Issues, well, yeah, but, you know, the hunters, the hunters, the hunters did not, not want lions to be uplifted to Appendix One because that would mean the end of lion trophy hunting in Africa. So what they did is they tried to undermine the whole process. And they were successful. And the European Union said, okay, well, what we'll do is we have so many different conflicting opinions. What we're going to do is we're going to reach some sort of compromise. Now, my point in some of my blogs is that you cannot compromise on scientific information. Scientific information says this is the way it is. You don't compromise. You don't say, well, all of a sudden, you know, it's not like... E equals MC squared is now going to be compromised to say E equals MC, right? But the European Union said, we're going to compromise on lions and we're going to allow this. We're going to allow South Africa to cap the breed lions for their bones. We are going to stop um, any sort of claws or teeth or bones or whatever from wild lions. But how can you tell the difference? So there's no, the there's no DNA no. tracking oh. like there is with ivory and with rhino horn. There, there's none of this being applied Absolutely to lions. Uh, but, but, no, but there, there's nothing. I mean, how can you tell if, if a bone or a, or a tooth or a claw from a lion comes from the wild or comes from um, a captive bred population? The, you know, it's so easy to launder all these wild products into the guise of a captive bred situation that, you know, it's completely laughable. But the European Union said, oh, you know, we're so proud of this. And a lot of organizations said, we're going, going along with this. This was the big, big, big mistake in CITES. This is where CITES completely failed. They failed on elephants and they failed miserably on lions. They always accept the lowest possible standard. The lowest possible standard. In other words, what CITES will say is we will try to massage together all the politics and the science and then come up with some sort of compromise solution that actually is nonsense. So speaking of... You don't com compromise on science like I said. Right. So speaking on compromise, everything we, we just you just spoke about and that we've been talking about on this program... Um, with the way the world is going, climate change, climate effect, human population encroachment, loss of wild habitat, loss, decline of viable wild species, um, populations, elephants, lions, rhino. Uh, rhino is a little tricky because the majority of the population is captive bred right now. So that once brings us 
full circle back to how we defined wild versus alternative livestock, which is the breeding of lions and the breeding of rhino for trade. Once again, I remind our listeners, CITE stands for the Convention on International Trade of Endangered Species. Uh, Several people had said it is the trade in these endangered species that is making them endangered. So once again, this brings us back to relevance and you know, we can skip forward three years to the hopes of COP18 in Sri Lanka. It was brought out that, you know, Sri Lanka has a very different mindset about conservation, where South Africa is utilization equals sustainability equals conservation equals money. But it's not money for conservation. None of this money from the breeding uh, facilities, whether it be rhino or lion, ends up going into the conservation of the species in the wild. All that money goes up to keep the breeding uh, farming uh, facilities going. So they have to create ways to make money. So in lions, they created all these spin-off industries. You can't quite go up and pet a, pet a rhino or walk with a rhino. So there's a lot of rhino now, and they did, you know, rhino was the one thing like African gray, gray parrots and pangolins that did win at CITES but it's still iffy because it's going to bring up the argument does a ban in trade um, increase the illegal market or does it decrease the illegal market and once again if you go back and read the link to the South African uh, Predator Association by their words they would say that without breeding of these animals uh, that the wild populations will collapse but once again they do not define the wild so with COP18 coming up in Sri Lanka that has a very different look on utilization and very different wildlife issues and they don't have some of these populations that Africa has so all in all um, to just sort of wrap up this particular section because um, we have still have a lot to discuss um, CITES was a game changer for sure, and you can go read John Scanlon's article on that, but it seems that CITES definitely changed the game, but not in the favor of wildness, would you say? Well, I think, you know, let's, let's, um, CITES has failed time and time and time again, for lots and lots of species. CITES always bows down to, you know, vested commercial interests. I mean, you know, look at tunas being, you know, not uplisted to Appendix 1, you know, way back when. Let's look at lions never being uplisted. Let's look at, you know, all the failures that CITES have had to, to make any sort of difference in terms of stopping trade in endangered species that are getting more endangered as we speak. Now, my solution um, to this whole CITES process is this. Let CITES set the lowest possible standard. Let's have, let them have their fun, their, you know, their, their conferences, their parties, their whatever, and let them set minimal standards. But every single nation in the world has the capability of saying to CITES, okay, we'll take the minimum standards, but instead what we're going to do is we're going to improve those standards. For example, the USA will not allow import of any cheetah product 
society says that's fine. You can shoot cheetahs and all, all that kind of stuff. The EU imports cheetah trophies from Namibia, places like that. Um, the um, USA will not allow any import of polar bear products. Society says shooting polar bears is fine. Everybody imports, you know, hunting trophies from polar bears. The EU does, Russia does, China does, whatever. The USA says no. So here we have a case where a sovereign nation can actually institute by themselves much higher standards and close their borders to products that they do not wish. So this is where we can make a real difference. CITES is 182 nations or whatever, right? 183 but now. Um, your own nation. Go yeah, ahead. But your, your nation, your, your one nation is one nation. And you can make, as an individual, you, you can make a much bigger difference in terms of saying, we don't want this. To go to one nation, to go to your minister, to go to whoever it is, you know, who controls the imports and exports of, of, of various wildlife products and say, we will not accept this anymore. And that nation then has to listen to you. Australia did. They will not import any elephant or lion product from anywhere. They've closed their borders. So did France. So did the Netherlands. Right. They have said end of this. And that is the way forward. Like I said, societies can set minimal standards. Individual nations can set much higher standards according to the wishes of their their citizens. So in, in response to this, so um, with people saying societies is not relevant, and we saw a lot of decisions that came down on the wrong side of the table for wild and wildlife and everything we talk about. And one of the main one of the main reasons stated by Scanlon, the Secretariat for the EU and the US that didn't vote for uplisting lions and elephant to Appendix 1 was they quote-unquote feared that countries such as Namibia or Zimbabwe would take out reservations. And what that means is that they can continue to be a member of CITES and are bound by, quote-unquote, legally binding agreements, but they wouldn't have to play by their rules. So rather than what I'm hearing you say, rather than try and fix CITES to come up to a standard that includes conservation science and data, leave CITES the way it is, let it go to its lowest common denominator, and then rather than take out reservations or create another body that is concerned about conservation, let each nation come up with these terms, regulations, and decisions. Exactly. And, you know, what, what, what happens with CITES is that they have to, you know, somehow balance all these conflicting views, you know, from one nation to another nation to whatever, whatever politics is being played in the back corridors of, of CITES. We all know this is going on. But um, all, all of a sudden, now you're just dealing with one individual nation that says, we will import this and we will import that and we will not import that. I can tell you, Ellie. If I come to the United States with a sausage that I bought in, in, in South Africa or anywhere else in Africa, customs will take that away from me. If I come in with some little plant product, customs will take that 
away from me. Because the USA have said, we will not import these various things because, you know, we're worried about, you know, the animal health. We're worried about this. We're worried about that now let the u.s be worried about the 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 um, will of their citizens not to import any more elephant products not to import any more um let's say lion products things like that and and let them make their own decisions like australia did like like france did like like the netherlands did so with this now Where, the other one second. The, so the, with this, um, there were a lot of meetings pre-CITES by um, the International Committee on Conservation of Wildlife, illegal trade of wildlife, and the IUCN and Interpol. Um, do you think if each nation ends up taking stronger stances by the will of their people, do you think that will make it easier? or add to the burden on these international committees about wildlife crime and at the the border import places, do you think it will add more pressure and where will that money come from to increase and back up customs um, and all of that? And do you think, and separately, it will increase poaching and illegal traffic? Do you think they'll go hand in hand? That's a good point that... That's a good point that you bring up because CITES, you know, is about legal trade. Now, legal trade is not, well, to some extent it is, but, but it is not the main problem for the levels of wildlife decline that we see all over Africa, let's say, right? Legal trade is not the reason why elephants are declining by their tens of thousands. Legal trade is not the reason why, you know, um, things like rhinos are de- are, are declining by by thousands every year. It is the illegal trade, and CITES cannot do anything about illegal trade. They do not um, have the power or the will, I must say, to do anything about this. CITES has a long list of countries that are heavily involved in the illegal wildlife trade, but they, they will not, CITES will not sanction them from conducting their legal trade. In other words, CITES has no teeth. And like you were saying, you know, CITES is is all about compromise and is all about this and is all about that. And, you know, CITES is really scared about countries taking out reservations. Now, my point is that, okay, if Namibia, let's say, or if Zimbabwe wants to take out a reservation, let them do so. Now, what they have to do is then they have to find a trading partner that is also willing to trade with them, even though they have taken out a reservation. In other words, Zimbabwe says, no, we want to trade in elephant tusks, right? And we're going to take out a reservation so that we can do this. Now, who are you going to trade with? Call their bluff. And that's what CITES never does. CITES is a victim to the very few loud voices that are among their ranks. CITES will will never take any negative steps against any nation because CITES is, you know, so proud of, of, of having 182 or 183 nations that are part of that convention that they will do nothing against it. All it is about compromise, compromise, and compromise. And this is where it fails. If you're going to actually make a difference in terms of preventing the trade of wildlife inflicting damage 
on wildlife, then you do not compromise. Well, what we do need, we do need to bring up. We do need to bring up one point that elephants did get a very small win when CITES tabled any further discussion on a mechanism to discuss the trade in ivory. So that's a little convoluted. Previously, they were discussing mechanisms on how to do illegal trade in ivory. And this dates back to the previous one-off sales, and we can talk about this at another time. But they did create the mechanism that there is no trade, so it kind of tabled trade in ivory. So what Peter was just saying, that if Namibia and Zimbabwe wanted to file a reservation and trade in ivory, this is where Peter's um, point, who are they going to trade with, becomes very important, because nobody can buy legal ivory anymore. Now, whether that stops the illegal markets remains to be seen. As long as there's no legal market for it, then it says everything is illegal, and they're hoping that the countries that do have ivory stockpiles, whether it be domestic trade in Africa or foreign trade, the U.S., China, Asia, whatever, would destroy their stockpiles, which has been a move over the past several years, destroying stockpiles of ivory. But it doesn't stop the illegal market. So once again, um, we've got a few minutes left here. How? What kind of pressure and what kind of backup that we, the public, can do, not only as national citizens to write our um, lawmakers and uh, wildlife trade experts, U.S. Fish and Wildlife, what is it we can do to buttress up Interpol and the International uh, uh, Committee on Wildlife, Illegal Wildlife Crime? So what is it we can do, since CITES isn't going to, what, what is it we can do, our listeners, to make illegal trade in wildlife go away? And provide nothing for the poachers. Well, Ellie, I think that I, I think that you know people don't seem to realize that um, all all the, the 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 whole CITES process and all those delegates and the secretariat and you know whatever whatever, whatever that's built up by CITES is dependent on your tax dollars. Okay, you contribute. The, the money that funds CITES. You contribute the money that funds so many of these organizations all over the world so that, um, you know, the International Whaling Commission, you know, the, the International Biodiversity Conference or whatever, all of this is funded by your tax dollars. So obviously you have a big say in terms of what you think is important and your, your vote counts. So if you don't agree with CITES, if you don't agree with the way that things are going, if you don't agree with the way that your nation is conducting themselves at CITES, you, you can confront them. Now, or even conducting CITES themselves delegates in are terms, not used to this. Or even conducting themselves in terms of what they will allow to be imported and what they export in terms of wildlife and biodiversity. Absolutely. So all these, these other organizations ha- are really important. Um, I'm a little 
clue for the listeners when you get these newsletters from you know the Center for Biodiversity or Centers from Disease Control or Rainforest Action Network or Lion Aid or Wild Eyes and all the organizations and groups that you're reading about that are trying to change what happens to wildlife and stop the illegal trade which will put an end to the poaching we have a voice so it's become even more important now that we as individuals as Peter said speak up because the world is listening and you know i'm not sure lions and elephant have time so you know three years okay we're still going to have elephants in three years but how many and if we continue the trade in their pieces and parts and love them to pieces and love them to death we're not going to have anything left for um, a sustainable millennium goal and an ecosystem and a thriving planet and just the aesthetics that wild should exist and we should let it be because it's there just just because so this ends up we're, we're unfortunately out of time today so I'd like to end with a quote that Peter wrote and that um, and what, that Scanlon had said in his letter that yes CITES COP17 was a game changer and more than ever before we have been shown how CITES game is played. The guidelines are opaque. The same rules do not apply to all. Small working groups decide big decisions and wildlife loses once again. So Peter, on that note, what would be your final takeaway for our listeners? The final takeaway would be that is we all have the opportunity and the power and the right the right to make our voices heard. Because we pay for CITES, we pay for John Scanlon, we pay for, you know, all these international organizations that attend CITES. We even pay for the hunting organizations to attend CITES. Your money means your right to say what you want to have represented. And when we pay for it, we're not only paying for it through tax dollars, but we're paying for it through our hard-earned work and contributions and donor funding. So this has become very, very important. So unfortunately, Peter, thank you so much for your time, but we're out of time today. Thank you, Ellie, once again for a wonderful show. I'm always proud to be a contributor here. And um, keep fighting for our wildlife, Ellie. We need you. Thank you, Peter. So um, on that note, this is Ellie Weiss, and you, my listeners, step out and think very hard about our wild world. Thank you again for joining us this week. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time, for another edition of Our Wild World with your host, Ellie Weiss, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Think about living with wildlife during the coming week and what you can do right now. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff and management.